Warning, this episode contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. up everybody and welcome back to another episode of whiskey sex talk i am your host romeo and back in the studio and with us again is kim ohannison president of women who whiskey la chapter and my co-host david what's up romeo hey so kim you are here to uh give us the what like 101 on scotch so what can yeah, you help guide us through? This is my very first whiskey, uh, you know, that I started drinking. Actually, back when I was in college, I was drinking like whiskey and tea, which is a weird thing. I mean, not, you know, I wasn't even a hot toddy or anything, but scotch has always been my very, very favorite. And, um, you know, what's interesting to me is a lot of people, uh, and I think we've talked about this, Rome. I think we talked about the lot first time I was on. It's a lot of people think, oh, you know, scotch is, everybody thinks scotch is smoky and it's too peaty and, you know, right. peaty, meaty, you know, kind of that. Uh, and by peat uh, and the smoke that, you know, people associate with scotch is basically um, certain kinds of, of scotch, very few, ge- generally speaking, uh, from an island called Isla. Um, and it's basically, peat is like bog matter that has been dried and um, set on fire. And it smokes the the grain when the grain is being prepared. So that's where that's where it gets that smoky flavor. Um, but there's very few. I would say probably 80, 90 percent of the whiskeys that come out of Scotland are not smoky. So that was one of the main things that I wanted to talk about. And uh, brands that I like to tell people about is the Glenlivet, very soft, uh, accessible whiskey. Uh, Aberfeldy, kind of a honey flavor. This is a peaty whiskey, but it's uh, kind of the mildest. And Auchentosh, funny name, but it's a great whiskey for bourbon drinkers. It's kind of like the gateway scotch for bourbon drinkers. So, um, and I'm drinking, that's what I'm drinking right now is Auchentosh. Yeah, no, so it seems like um, scotch, I mean, I was under that impression that it's very smoky and Mm -hmm. and whatnot, just because of, of what I've tasted out there. Um, but it seems like it's just as diverse as any other whiskey. I mean, clearly, I mean, now yeah. that you brought that into, you know, now that you've yeah, mentioned that. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's five different, uh, areas. Well, five official different areas of, um, of scotch production, uh, the lowlands, uh, Speyside, which is where, you know, brands like the Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, you know, brands that McAllen, you know, kind of some you know, very well-known brands um, are from Highlands, which is very diverse. Uh, and then um, Isla, which I was mentioning, that's the island with a lot of peaty scotches. And then there's kind of an unofficial um, category called the islands, which are kind of considered part of the highlands. But the area I tell people to kind of focus on if they are interested in trying scotch is to go to Speyside. And that's where, again, Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, 
uh, because those tend to be softer whiskeys. Mm-hmm. You will pretty much not find a peated smoky whiskey if you go to Speyside. So um, uh, the reason a lot of people think that um, scotch is smoky is because it's not as sweet as bourbon or Irish, um, both of which, you know, bourbon is made with corn. So that's a sweeter grain. Um, scotch is pretty much always made with barley. Irish is made, uh, generally speaking, with corn and some wheat. So, um, yeah. What can you tell us? Let's say, let's say if, uh, for someone that um, is just starting off uh, in the whiskey uh, spirit, what would be a good suggestion? So, let's say I'm a person that I don't know anything about scotch, and I go to a bar and I talk to the bartender. Um, what are some things that I should be letting the bartender know just so they can kind of give me something that's more to my palate? Well, if you tell them what you, I mean, sorry, if you don't like, if you have had no whiskey at all whatsoever, or like if you're a bourbon fan, I would say if you tell them, you know, these are the bourbons that I like, a good bartender will be, should be able to say, okay, if you like this kind of a bourbon, this might make more sense for you. I mean, um, so, I mean, again, I would definitely go with Speysides, and that's S-P-E-Y, you know, S-I-D-E. And, you know, I would go with things like the Glenlivet, which is very soft. It's very accessible. um, And it's not too sweet. It's just a really easy sipper. You know, um, I... uh, you know, I and people who like Irish whiskey, it's an easier transition because they're, you know, they they kind of have a, a Gaelic, you know, tie. Irish whiskey. I mean, even the Scots will agree now, you know, kind of reluctantly, that uh, you know the Irish basically started at least the first recorded uh, instances that uh, the Irish, start, you know, really started distilling whiskey. But um, Scotch really kind of took off with it, uh, you know, during Prohibition because, you know, the Irish kind of didn't want to trade, you know, with America during Prohibition because it was immoral and, you know, they were very Catholic. And so the Scots are like, we don't have any problem <laughs> with the Prohibition agent. So anyway, that was a tangent. But no, no, no. Uh, so no, I actually I, that's what I was about to. Um, that was my next question. If you can actually tell us what makes Scotch Scotch, like if you can go into the history and, and, and the process sure. of it, that would be great um, because sure. I think it's all it's all relevant and it ties into it. I mean, you got to know the history of, 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 of the whiskey and, and, and a little bit of it. So you kind of have an understanding of why it makes it Scotch. A lot of people when I do private tastings, people say, OK, what's the difference between bourbon, Scotch and whiskey? Right. So, but whiskey, what a lot of people don't understand is, you know, general term is that whiskey is the umbrella term for right. any distilled fermented grain beverage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, scotch is whiskey that has been distilled in Scotland. That's not the only criteria. Irish whiskey is whiskey that's been, you know, distilled in, in Ireland. Bourbon is uh, whiskey that has uh, been distilled anywhere in America. It doesn't have to be in Kentucky. That's a, you know, that's a misunderstanding. Most people think, oh, it has to be in Kentucky to be a bourbon anywhere in America. Um, Japanese whiskey, you know, is whiskey. It's just distilled in Japan. Um, Scotch became, uh, the Irish were basically the first uh, 
pretty major distillers and they because of the british empire when they're part of the british empire they were uh they had all of those avenues they were selling to all the colonies they had so many trade routes so they were really dominating you know the whiskey industry um then there was a war of independence they lost all those trade routes uh and a very crucial um event i mean everybody goes oh well you know prohibition you know you people with you americans with your prohibition you ruined the, you know, Irish whiskey industry. Actually, what happened is the Irish stopped. Um, they didn't want to use something called uh, the coffee still, C-O-F-F-E-Y. It's not coffee like, you know, hot coffee that you drink with cream. Mm -hmm. It is um, a continuous kind of still, and it basically sped up production as opposed to what, what the Irish were using and a lot of, you know, scotch distilleries still use is what's called a pot still. And I don't know if you've ever seen, it's kind of a bulbous bottom and it's made of copper and it looks like something you'd find in, you know, the land of the hobbits, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and that, but a, a, col a continuous column still, it's basically just what it sounds like. It can make, you know, spirits continuously and most grains uh, that are not, um, you know, barley, uh, you know, are, are most, most whiskeys that are made with grains are uh, produced on those stills. Uh, most scotches still are produced on these, you know, pot stills. But when the Irish, um, uh, so the coffee still was created by a man named Aeneas Coffee. He was a tax man. He went to the Irish. He kind of refined the still. Went to the Irish, and he said, "This will really help your business. You know, you. I know you're like the, you know, major distillers of the world. You Irish distillers." But this will really help your business. And they were like, no, it's immoral. You know, it'll make bad whiskey. Yep. So we took it to the Scots, who at that time were basically bootleggers. So they were like, you know, just, you know, in the hills making whiskey on their, you know, little moonshine stills. And that really, that coffee still really helped them start producing uh, whiskeys that then turned into blended uh, scotches. And uh, which really, you know, was super popular for many, many years. I mean, now single malt scotches, you know, are very are considered, you know, the highest form. But that's not necessarily true. You know, back in the day, it was really the blended scotches. And most of the distilleries were making uh, back in the day were making scotches to blend like doers, um, uh, you know, all the big all the big names. But um can you help us understand the difference between the blends, the single malts, and the cask? Can you walk us through that? Because, I mean, you just mentioned a couple of things. Like, is there a, I mean, obviously there is a difference, but is there a preference among people that they prefer the blends versus single malts and the type of cask? The cask is, a uh, cask is basically what the, um, whiskey is is matured in right. so after it comes off the still it basically looks like water you know it has uh generally speaking um it has well it has some flavor because of the yeast uh it will have you know flavor if it was peated uh but generally speaking it's going to get most of its color and a lot of the flavor from sitting in that cask that wood cask and that's because uh, most casks, uh, most distilleries in the world use bourbon casks now. I mean, a lot of tequila, you know, producers. That's because 
bourbon casks, uh, bourbon makers can only to be called bourbon. You can only use a cask once. It has to be a charred American oak cask. So that means once they use it, they can't use it anymore. So those casks go off, you know, all around the world. And what they do before uh, is they char it on the inside. Uh, so it's it's kind of like the difference between char charring uh, or, or caramelizing onions. And, uh, you know, so that what that char does is it um, basically caramelizes the, the vanillins, the lignins in the woods, so that um, that's where you get those vanilla caramel flavors. And what happened, they scrape out the, you know, most of the char. But um, so it's like caramelizing onions. So when you put that clear distillate in there um, and, a, and a cask is, you know, the wood is it's a living, breathing thing. You know, it's hmm. it's it's supposed to be that way. So um, depending on the weather, the cask will expand and contract. And this is like, you know, barrels, hogshead, butts, nice. you know, different. And it'll expand and contract. And when it expands, it pulls the whiskey into the wood where it interacts with all the, you know, the lignans and vanillins. And that's where it gets those, you know, caramel flavors. And then it pushes it back out. And it, you know, goes back and forth. Uh, hotter weather, uh, like a bourbon, you know, in bourbon country in, in Kentucky, uh, you know, it'll be faster. It'll be a, you know, quicker process as opposed to Scotland. Obviously, the weather is very cool. So it'll be, you know, a little bit more incremental. So that's the cast process. Um, the uh, blend versus scotch. So to be a scotch, uh, it has to be made in Scotland, basically, is, is what the, you know, whether that's a blend or that's a single malt scotch. And a single malt scotch basically is, um, it has to be made at one distillery in Scotland, uh, you know, and a single malt scotch has to be, uh, three things, uh, barley, yeast, and water, <clears throat> and made at one distillery. So that's a single malt scotch. And a blend is um, basically a grain whiskey that is not barley blended with a bar with a single malt, single malt scotch or a lot of single malt scotches. So there's usually a grain whiskey, wheat or corn that's blended with the barley. So with a blended whiskey, um, are they from different distilleries? Uh, can you say, yes. is that fair to assume? Yes. Yes. So that, so a lot of, uh, so for instance, um, doers has, you know, a lot of different blends that they, you know, that they bring in, um, Aberfeldy is one of them. Um, they have something called, uh, world Brackla. Um, there's, they've just released a lot of the single malts that they used to, <clears throat> you know, put together just as, as that you never even knew about, but that made up the blend. Yeah, and, and a lot of whiskeys, you know, uh, a lot of whiskey distilleries for many, many years just made uh, whiskeys for blending, you know. So, um, you know, the, I mean, there's there are brands that you, I mean, distilleries you probably have never heard of because, you know, Tullabardine, for instance, um, you know, was uh, basically solely existed to make uh, whiskey for blending. So... Um, and, you know, and now that single malt scotch is becoming more popular, uh, a lot of the, um, distilleries or the brands, I should say, are starting to release those, you know, different single malts that were basically made for blends, um, and they're releasing them separately. So it, it was kind of an interest and that's because of the demand, you know, with single malt scotch lovers. So there is <laughs> for a long time, 
people, um, you know, especially with the craze for single malt scotch, mm-hmm. um, people kind of look down on blends. And but with, that's really a disservice to the whiskey. I mean, I think for a long time, you know, inferior grains were used. And so that's why people kind of, you know, uh, you know, part of it was snobbishness. You know, it's like, oh, you know, God forbid I not have a single malt scotch. But, um, you know, I'm way back in the day, I had certainly had a little bit of that snobbishness, too. But, you know, the longer I have drunk whiskey and the more I know about it, you know, the more I appreciate um, the skill of the blender. I mean, it really is, it's a huge skill, you know, and, and uh, they're the ones, you know, even, even in the, in a distillery that makes single malts, because you're not, it's not like one cast, you're pulling from different barrels within that distillery. So to make, so blending for consistency is really important or coming up with new blends. And, and, you know, uh, we're starting to see that Um, you you mentioned that people were kind of snobby about towards the blended, but scotch right now is going through a global renaissance. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think people are starting to see that when people ask, oh, single malt versus blended, you'll have people that'll be like, oh, I prefer the single malt because it's so pure and, and whatnot. Da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. But in reality, we're starting to see how diverse. I mean, we're living in an age right now where uh, we're, we can really, really see the diversity within scotch mm-hmm. or just whiskey in general. Um, and that's what's what's becoming interesting is that people are beco- they're starting to appreciate uh, the blended uh, versus, mm-hmm. you know, versus the the, the 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 single malts now let me ask you just to backtrack a little bit as far mm-hmm. as the single malt uh what's the percentage of grain that you need to make a single malt uh scotch is there a number 100%. does it vary 100 barley to make a single malt scotch it has to be 100 percent barley and for so blended is a blended is just i'm assuming is just different yeah. whiskeys coming together different scotch yeah. coming yeah together. it's yeah it's yeah i mean to my knowledge and i you know i've never actually thought about that but i to my knowledge it is there's not a percentage you know it's kind of like uh i think it might have to be 51 percent you know clearly but uh, i'm actually not sure about that about the percentage of okay david do you know that i don't know but going back to what you were mentioning with your comments i've i've always been in i've never been a a snob when it comes to scotch and whiskey and and bourbon because i there's so many that, you know, you, you have your go-tos, right? Like your best, you know, your favorite pair of jeans that you put on any time of the day and you always wear them. And, and I, I certainly have mine. Um, but I, I tend to gravitate more towards double cask, even <laughs> if it's not aged as long, even if it's not aged as long as others, there's just something about a double cask for me that really like, it really hits a home run for me. Um, I don't, for some reason, I've been like that with McAllen, and I know it's not a double cast, but I, oddly enough, I've been like that with Japanese whiskey, like Hibiki Harmony. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, a perfect like a- example of a blend. Yeah, that is, is yeah. you know, all of the Japanese whiskeys, generally speaking, are are blends, and it's really an art. It really is. And you yeah, know what? I, it, I, and I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I'll say it like it, it's, yeah, for I mean, I don't know. I'm a big sake guy anyway, but it's just something with the Japanese whiskey sits with me well. But McAllen's always been like a go-to. I mean, I'm a fan of Yellow Spot as well, mm-hmm. and I know the Yellow Spot's a little bit different of a taste, but 
Yeah, when you when you first get into it, that's like your initial reaction going all the way back to our, our you know, the original topic of it being smoky. I was I felt like that having like Glenn Levin for the first time or having like even having Blue Label for the first time. Right. Just, yeah. It was different, you know? And it's almost like you gotta get the you gotta get the the smell and you gotta get everything into you. And it's like after your first go around, it's like Okay, now I get it. Now I yeah, now you just kind of has to be a mental shift, you know that it's not going to be sweet like bourbon, but that doesn't mean it's it's smoky, you know. I mean, it's just it's right. a it's different and it's a kind of a it's richer in a different way. Not that bourbon isn't rich, of course, you know, but uh, yeah. Well, so, it, like, it, it, go it, ahead. It hits your palates in different ways. I mean, that's what's mm-hmm. so amazing about it. Now, and not to you were about to say something. Go ahead. Oh, I can't remember what it is. Go ahead. Yeah. I, 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 you know, one thing I've noticed is that there is this hype um, that is emerging um, within the Scotch world, which is the the cast uh, strength, and it, it's. I feel like there's like this popular, this booming popularity where, and I'm seeing this in recent years, just like because based on like what I'm reading out there and 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 what I'm hearing. Do you, do you? Un- is there a reason why there's this booming in, in like, oh, the cast strength? Because people think like there's this, it's like the purest form of of uh, of scotch. And um, is that true? Is there some truth to it? Or, I mean, we talked about it a little bit before, mm-hmm. but there's a global renaissance. But at the same time, there's this kind of like, I, I want to say it's a hype. I do want to say it's a hype because I feel like it's just like a fast. People are going through like, oh, it's the purest, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like tapping into that snobbery that we've been hearing maybe we've been hearing our fathers or or our mothers or people say this older people say this that like scotch has to be single malt and like or even just the cast strength is just like the thing you know that you need to focus on you know the idea i think is that the distiller has said this cask is special enough so that i want to release it i bottle it and release it to the public as is it is special enough, or it may, sometimes it may just be odd enough, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it doesn't fit in with their, you know, blending, uh, you know, program within the distillery. So it's like, let's release it as a, as a single cast. And um, so, you know, it doesn't necessarily, again, it doesn't necessarily mean it's better, but I would say that it is probably the purest expression of a distiller's art. And I think it is interesting to taste cask strength whiskeys. What do you think, David? I mean, you you are you a cask strength fan? I mean, yeah, you know, it, it it's funny you ask that because I've had a couple I've had a couple of bottles um, that have been triples, and wow. I feel like the I feel like the the triples have been too much, and which is really odd. And mm-hmm. but, but I I almost compare it to. Uh, Sounds weird to say. I almost compare it to a cigar, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have, mm-hmm. you can have the same cigar, the same brand, but that just the taste is completely different. And I, I've felt yeah. like having yeah, having a triple versus a double is a little bit. Um, it, it, you could just tell, like you could tell the difference. And I feel like there, there's something about a double. I think that sits with me well. And I, I like the single malt. I'm not gonna lie. I, I do think just with the experimentation a little bit, if you have a splash of water, if you have a cube in there, uh, I think there's different ways that you can manipulate it to to dress it up accordingly too. Because 
you know, the, the other thing that's fascinating, and this is relatable for all of us, is that, you know, our palates change, but our taste buds change as we age too. True. Yeah, so, true. you know, like, like when I was a kid, for example, I hated, I, I hated everything green. Like I never ate vegetables. I hated green. And now as I get older, I eat more greens. I eat more vegetables just because my, my taste buds have changed. And that's the same thing with the alcohol. So, um, that's a cool thing where for me, I feel like I have the luxury of not being a snob with this because there's so many different options available. You just want to try everything. And, and, extent, and that's you know? the yeah. thing. Me too. Yeah. Go ahead. Romeo. That's the thing. I think that you like, you have to be open to all this. Cause that's the whole point of the, of the spirit world, especially whiskey is like, there's so, there's such an abundance of flavor. I mean, and for me personally, like if I'm starting off, um, I feel like the best place to start is the middle with a single malt, just because um, you get like the distinctiveness of flavors uh, that are lacking from the average, like light, sweet blends that you, you know, you get from blended. Sometimes it could be overwhelming. You know, I had my friend come over the other day and we tasted the bottle that I, that I bought from Hermitage, which is this amazing store uh, in Haifa, Israel. And uh, her father drinks a lot of whiskey. And um, for her, um, she really doesn't like the blended uh, because she says it's for her. She, it's just, it's overwhelming, especially for someone that doesn't drink much. Oh, uh, interesting. I mean, which is it is interesting because you would think that for her, she would like the, the, the different flavors. But she's she just likes to know what she's smelling and what she's like tasting. And, and she personally likes the single um the single malt uh for her i mean that that was just that one experience and i found that very interesting considering what kim has told us where uh women have their palates are a little bit more uh, evolved per se let's just say that or like their their notes they can pick up different notes yeah i um, mean women do have you know they have uh, more taste buds you know they're uh they can pick up you know more aromas and i think it's you know that's just a survival thing you know they had to they had to protect the cubs in the cave, you know, yeah. so, uh, you know, there's like danger, danger, you know? So, um, but yeah, I think, well, uh, you know, just to finish off about the single cask, um, you know, what I think is interesting uh, about that is, you know, you taste it, you get a very pure expression of the whiskey. Then you can, uh, you know, Sam was saying you can start manipulating it with adding water, mm -hmm. uh, which opens up, you know, kind of the more delicate, what they call the floral and fruity esters. And, um, you know, so those are, and actually cask strength whiskey is, in, you know, really it's intended to, so, you know, it's water is recommended to open those up, you know, uh, access those flavors. I, and, you know, what I always like to tell people and everybody should drink whiskey however they want. I think it's, you know, back again, back in the day, you know, it was like, this is what you should be smelling. This is what you should be tasting. That's it. Not the case and, anymore. Yeah. And God forbid you mentioned, you know, talked about an ice cube <laughs> ordered out of you know, the whiskey tasting. Now the idea is that anybody should drink whatever they want. If you want to drink a, you know, you know, hundred dollar bottle of scotch with Coca-Cola, go ahead and do it. Yeah. Go ahead and do it. Yeah. Speaking but, of serve. Yeah, oh, go ahead. I no, I was just going to say, so the one thing I always like, just like to explain to people the difference, what happens, you know, so we, I just mentioned water opens up the kind of a lighter floral, fruity, uh, you know, notes. If you put an ice cube in, what that does is tamps down those lighter and, you know, mm -hmm. and it opens up kind of the base notes. So the caramel, the, you know, the, 
uh, wood, the uh, vanilla. So it'll those bigger, you know, notes. So that's just the, the difference, you know. I mean, that you know, but everybody should do what they want. First of all, Kim, thank you so much for for that. I think that was that was very informative. Um, speaking of survival, I mean, can we just say how uh, um, dating is really hard nowadays? Can we just agree on that one? Like, I have a couple of friends who are actually um, dating, but here's the thing. Um, it's, it's, it's really, um, to an extent it's long distance dating. And I, I, I was thinking of like, where is long yeah. distance datings nowadays? Like, especially because like, it was, it was a thing when the internet started booming and people were on chat rooms and match.com was, it was coming, was evolving. And, and I want to talk about this. I want to talk about like long distance dating. Is it possible? Is it not like, what are the pros and cons? Like, I feel that there's a lot of stigma behind long distance uh, relationship just for the obvious reasons. Like it's not going to work because it's long. I mean, you guys are at two different states. Like how can you spend more time? Like you lose like the the chemistry that you're able to create when or you're able to create when you're actually face to face. Like what are your what do you guys what are your thoughts about like long distance relationships? Because I mean, I am pro, especially now with technology is making it so much easier um, to, to it's making it possible for long distance relationships to exist and to, and to actually be something that is uh, worth the investment. I want to say. I, I think it, uh, I think it depends on the age, age range. Like if you're, if you're 20 to, or if you're 18 to 29, stay the hell away from it. I, I think, because I, I, you know when you're 18 to 29 you're full of hormones and you're full of like experimentation you want to get out and about I, I'm a firm firm believer that there's there's plenty of fish in the sea but during those time that time of your life you're you're hustling you're trying to discover who you are and you want to go out and party and and mingle and and whatnot I, I feel like there's no there's no justifiable reason to have a long-term relationship, especially in today's day and age where like, like you mentioned with the click of a button, online dating, things like that, you got close proximity, you can make things worth outside of course, if it's a member of the military. So if a man or woman that's like in the Marines or in the air force, the Navy, that's, that's totally justifiable. Now, if you flip the script and you go to 30 and you're like 30 on up, then I think it's a little bit different because then we know who we are and on top of that we all have we all have our own levels of patience and so some might be higher than others and i think having the proximity that comes into play helps that thing out too whether you're short fuse or not i think that plays into like because i've done the i've done the long distance relationship i've been in my 20s not good i've done it in my 30s good and um <laughs> But you, you always, you know, it's just a tale of two, uh, two halves, I guess. So there is some sort of like mental maturity that comes with age, obviously, and also a financial stability, which could make it possible for you to um, visit the other person. Um, you know, I never thought about that that way, uh, that the if you're from like 18 to 29, uh, stay away from it. Because, I mean... There's so many different personalities out there. Like, let's say if you're an introverted person and um, communicating like via like uh, dating apps or like whatever is out there, it might be the best thing for you. I think it's a personality thing, too, as well. Wouldn't you say? Because I could be like a 25 year old and be very introverted and, 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 and just 
not be into socializing. Let's say I meet someone on the internet and you hear these stories, like I met someone, but then, you know, you, you also have like the reality of like, how possible is it? But there is an impatientness that does live within you when you're younger. I feel like, um, that's yeah, my, I mean- yeah, I think I I uh, I certainly admire people who can do that who can do that when they're younger. I I think I tried once in my early twenties, and I think I made it a month. And it wasn't they weren't even that far. It wasn't like they were across the country. It was like you know commuting from Los Angeles to San Francisco. Not difficult, you know. And but I you know at the time I think. Um, you know, as David was saying, I feel like I would, you know, that was focusing on a lot of other things, you know, career, college, you know, and I, it was very, I was very much into the immediate. Um, so, but, you know, it's very interesting. I mean, of course, now, you know, every, many relationships are long distance. Um, but, you know, it's interesting you were uh, talking about, you know, the idea of, of, uh, getting together in your night, you know, in your late teens or twenties, but I know a couple, uh, they've been together 10 years. Uh, they met when they were in college and, uh, you know, they're, they've been together 10 years and that was through, they lived apart for the first two years of their relationship. I mean, you know, uh, going from Baltimore to Philadelphia, you know, so not a horrible commute. Uh, but, you know, I mean, it was, and it wasn't, it was, I actually don't know how they did it. And now they're, you know, living together. And then they actually had to do another, you know, I think it was a few months, dis, you know, long distance relationship. And they were just very committed and they made it work. And I, you know, both very mature, you know, people, more mature than I was. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So, you know, that's it. And that's a kind of a happy story, I think. So that, you know, kind of supports you. I couldn't have, I couldn't have done it. God did, did they have any like initial like troubles at first, like aside from the obvious, like, because I mean, it could be frustrating. Um, The fact yeah. that I don't get to see that person, you probably get impatient. Like, I feel like it, for me, it, it would create like a lot of anxiety, uh, only because like you want to be there and this is long and anxiety it's almost like it's torture um to an extent and I, I i couldn't do it i did long distance when i was in college but fortunately that person was traveling from la to the bay area um every other week so it was possible but then again so that's like that work that <laughs> was that, that was just like one of those situations well yeah. i think that if 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 let's say you're a person that's that travels and it happens to be it just so happens that the person you, you like is in a different state and you're traveling constantly then it, obviously it could work sure, um sure. and it, it, it's much possible but let's say you're not in that position um for me i i think anxiety would be high um and it, it, it would just create like this frustration inside me and at the same time like i would probably be more miserable <laughs> just because I wouldn't be with that person or just like uh, a lot of things that, you know, you, you, they might be out of your control. Like you don't know that person, uh, you know, it's different when you're in, when you're like there with the person or you're within, you know, a city over or whatnot, or you can see them uh, more often than 
than what it then in long distance. But I, I mean, I feel like there might be more, let's say you do start the, the, the process of well, let's do this. Let's become, um, let's do the long distance. Like, I feel like there's some sort of like initial, like things that you encounter did the couple that you, you, you mentioned that, you know, like the, what were their initial things that they, if you know, like, did they have any like problems at the beginning, like common things that. I think, you know, I think they had been together. Uh, they were together for long enough at the end of college at, you know, one of them was graduating. The guy was graduating. Uh, and the young woman, you know, was right and she was like 19 so it was she's you know i think sophomore year of college but they had were together uh you know for a while before he moved and he moved to philadelphia because um you know he had there were some opportunities there um you know that made sense for him to you know make that move it was it's a great it was a great city at the time for millennials to move to um and uh, I don't. I, I think one of the things that helped is um, the buses were very cheap. I think that was the Bolt bus. You know, it was like super, super cheap. And mega very, buses, yeah. Yeah, it was like kind of like the mega bus, but yeah, I love those. Cheaper. It was even cheaper. Uh, I mean, it was like ridiculously cheap. So I think that was easy to do. I and I think they were both very mature and committed and. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think they they recognized they had the ability to recognize early on that they clicked and which is you know, which is rare and they kind of never deviated from that. But I think that is a rarity. I think that is very very rare. It is. You know, I I think it's more like what you're saying, Romeo, and what you're saying, David, especially that young. I mean, I never could have done it. Obviously, I couldn't, you know. Yeah. Oh, I would say what's interesting about that, that, that couple like you're, you're talking about, I mean, but given, the, but you have to also note that they had known each other in college. So they had that kind of to establish that kind of foundation. Right. Right. But I mean, it wasn't like years. I mean, it was, right. you know, but yeah, but I mean, college, college experience is very, you know, <laughs> that's like not real life. No, but I'm saying like right. there's people, I mean, yeah. versus, okay, for example, let's say we didn't meet this person in college or wherever right. and then they moved. Let's say this person just happened to be you met like um, via, I don't know, whatever apps are out there. Um, here's my thing. Here's my thought process. I think that if you are going to pursue um, this dating world, uh, you got to take it very seriously if you are going to do the long distance and because it's it's a challenge and um, it, it's a challenge, but it can be done. And I have a couple of things that I want to share because I think it all it, it really has to do with um, having the right mindset and understanding um, what lies ahead of you, like what lies really ahead of you. I mean, I think that if you prepare yourself uh, for this journey, it might actually work. And here's a couple of things. So, you know, now we have. We have WhatsApp, we have um, uh, FaceTime, we have Zoom, and it's no longer the conventional way of like calling versus once upon a time where people probably who did long distance, they had to call each other. It was only the phone. Now we have technology that enables us to do live one-on-one -on -one FaceTime. 
um, I think that that's one thing you need to do. I think that if you're going to do the long distance for me, I mean, in my opinion, I think that you need to take the FaceTime uh, time that you spend um, uh, serious. And here's the thing, too. Um, if you do the FaceTime, I think that you really have to uh, look your best and treat it as if you're going on a date. Um, because I think that you really if you put yourself in that mindset of like, OK, I'm going to FaceTime with so and so um, dress like you're going to on a date. Because I think it, it's going to add that value to it. And, and it's going to show on camera that, that you're really invested. And also, you're excited, you're excited about Yeah, that. you're excited. And you should really treat it like it is. A, I mean, it, they call it now like um, a phone date, I think, uh, or FaceTime date. Um, and you, here's a couple of things. You want to test your camera for sure. So uh, to confirm that everything's working good and that you're looking your best. And you also, I think one of the things too, is that you want to have multiple accounts just to make sure that you have, just for connectivity purposes, you want to make sure that you have everything is like in order. So just in case you have a glitch with this app, with this app or this, or this provide, or this, uh, yeah, this app, you can use this other app. And here's the other thing too. I think that you should really make sure that your camera uh angles are okay that are very good that they bring out the best in you and that the lighting is good because at the end of the day you are doing you are interacting with someone that you really feel like you're, you want to be invested and in. i think just like just like any other date like if it was a regular person that you met in in your local town and you get ready to to go out to see them i think you should also invest you should really take that um facetime uh you know, video chat seriously. FaceTime is an Apple product. It's an Apple product thing, but I'm just saying, like that video chat uh, seriously. I mean, would you guys agree? Or, I mean, am I wrong? Or is that? I mean, I, that's how I would approach it. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I don't. I guess I agree, but I wouldn't do it. I don't know. <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 it's a lot of work to get like done up especially for for females but for a lot but david but david let's say this is the person you really really like you're like oh my gosh there's she does she it, it's really there i think that the, it, there is you really have to really look your best and also here's another thing too like i mean you do when you go on on dates you look your best unless you, you show up like like i don't know like in your i don't know like you don't care i mean that's true that's not good um because I mean, it really is like a date. You should really treat it as a date. And here's the other thing too: is um, you could be distracted also too, and you have to be really focused when you're when you're doing these FaceTime, um, these I mean these video conferences or these video dates, um, phone dates. You don't want to be distracted and be rude. Just like on a date, you don't want to pick up your phone and be texting while you're on a date. That's like the most. That's like the oh, yeah. number one no on a date. And I yeah. think that if I think if you're going to be doing this FaceTime thing or this video thing. I think you need to find a quiet room uh, where it's minimal distraction and really treat it as such. So you can actually have that intimacy and, and, and really, really be able to like interact with each other. Because I think that like, to an extent, the camera is, you know, they say the eyes are the windows to your soul. Well, camera, I mean, it really exposes our vulnerabilities as well, especially like our, our little, like our little, our little, like, uh, help me here. Our little, like, Kirk's yeah, and yeah, yeah that we do you can, stuff, you, yeah. you can pick up on those things right and uh well, I think, you know i think you know being uh you know people working from home because of the pandemic 
I think people have had to become have have had to become more savvy on camera. You know, they're mm-hmm. you know, especially if you have to do video conferences for work or, you know, in my in my case, I, you know, had to bring my whiskey tastings from, you know, in real life to virtual tastings. So, you know, I have to, I feel like I have to present, a, you know, a, a, a welcoming environment. I, you know, have to, you know, I have to make this a welcoming environment. And I think that's the same thing with dating. You know, you want to welcome the person into your world. And, and I think in a way, video conferences make it made it easier. And I think aside from making it easier, you did say something about when you do your whiskey tastings at, you know, I think there is some truth. You have to treat it like like an in-person uh, interaction. And you that means like being respectful um, when you're when you're doing when you're videoing that person um, and, and really be really focused. And I think that there's another thing, too. Like, I think that um, if you if you're going to be setting a, a specific time to do this video conference and like you should really 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 treat it with respect uh oh, the other person and not and not and here's another thing too you shouldn't be late to to your to your video date i i really think that you shouldn't be late at all i mean it's a virtual date it's just that things are different and i think that because you're, you you can end up ruining it like you know it, it could totally like be destroying and the other person especially how vulnerable the situation is you know can you imagine being late on your virtual date and that person might feel like you're not taking this seriously? I would definitely be like, this person's not even taking me seriously. And I, I really, it shows respect for the relationship and especially how sensitive, you know, the situation is, meaning like the long distance. Um, yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, what I hear talking to people, you know, being late for the video date or the video chat is the most frustrating thing for people. But, oh, and I think 100%. Because, you know, I mean, being late in general, you know, a challenge. this is a challenge for me. You know, I'm always doing three million things. I never have enough time in the day to even get to anything. Uh, but I know it's important to be on time. And I think if, if you add in the emotional component of a relationship, you know, then all you're doing, I mean, of course, you're going to be imagining the worst. Why are they, you know, why are they late? They don't care. You know, you add layers of emotion on top of that, I think. So, I mean, I absolutely agree that that being on time is would have to be crucial. It is crucial for sure. And I think uh, you, speaking of like adding layers of emotion, I think another thing that you don't want to uh, uh, you shouldn't do is take a call. Um you're on a date you're on a virtual date like you're not gonna like it's not who does that like it's like picking up your phone and then like oh let me excuse me give me a second i gotta i gotta step out so rude Um, yeah and 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 i think that like if anything um i think you if you are if it's such a if it's something that's so like that you need to take the call i think you should be like excuse me reply and then put the phone down and that's it Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. And here's another thing, too, that I was thinking. Um, if you're going to be doing this, I think that another thing would be is that you shouldn't talk after 11 p.m. Because after a long day, um, after a long day, think about it. People are tired and you want to look your best and you want people to catch you at your best. And after a long day, I feel like um, uh, 
you're tired and you know sometimes you're grumpy and i i've been in those situations even with like your significant other you don't want to even want to talk to people <laughs> at that time you know you're just like you want to unwind have a glass of scotch and just take a shower have have a glass of scotch and just relax being your you know you're winding down you know you're at the end of your day and some people i mean but there's people that be like oh no that's the only time i can talk i wouldn't do that that's just mm -hmm. not good because you, you've talked to friends and family around that time people can be like tired in the bad mood they might have had a long day a terrible day and they just don't want to deal with people at least that's how i am yeah. i come 11 p.m i don't want to talk to anybody i just want to wind down I mean, I think it. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of night owls. And David, you you go ahead. Jump, were you going to jump in, David? I'm sorry. Didn't mean I was going to say, yeah, there's a lot of night owls, but it's ironic that, that you say that, Romeo, because we're recording this at 11 o'clock on a Sunday night. So, well, I, I guess what I'm saying is that, okay, so let's say if you are a night owl, you both are night owls, and that's permissible. Then you, then you should have been texting early in the morning, then. I mean, having the video day early in the morning. Oh, because you're just, yeah. it's early in the morning. You get what I'm saying. Like, you should pick a time where I think they're going to, you're going to catch each other at your best, is what I'm saying. Sure. That like, makes sense. And you're, you know, that may be two in the morning for both of you. you yeah. Know? And it could be. I mean, it could be two in the morning, but, uh, or it, it is, it's the, it's what's convenient, but definitely like it, assuming that the average, it's the average person who has a nine to five. Um, I wouldn't schedule my date like at, at 11. I would do like something around seven when I'm home. I've eaten, I'm unwinding. I'm kind of like, you know, get ready for that date, you know, shower and just do it. But, it, you know, I, I, I think that like when it comes to long distance, it does take twice the effort, but it is possible nowadays. Um, I mean, I think the clarity uh, whether the relationship can work might come in a little later um, versus like, you know, when you meet someone, the clarity is there, you know, like, you know that, okay, this, this is going to work between me and that person. Um, but I think that it comes at a later, at, at a later time when you're doing online, because when you're doing this whole like long distance, um, because you, you don't see each other consistently. Um and you know well, we have well, we have different ways of communicating too. Like you can text as well throughout the day, and and I think it's a little bit more. I don't know. It's just I feel like it's it just takes a little longer to feel things out. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't envy people who are trying to date now. <laughs> you know, I mean, on the one hand, it seems like you kind of do have an abundance of of issue, of, uh, abundance of riches in terms of ways to communicate. You got phone, you got text, you you know have all these you know, different you know, face-to-face, -face, you know, options. I, but I think it is challenging. I mean, I, I think it's, but again, you know, in, in a way the you know, have being kind of stuck at home with like, gosh, do I have to go out? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. It, it just, it, you know, it just, go ahead. Sorry. No, I just saying you understand. David looks like he's like going, yeah, I understand. <laughs> so, it's a, uh, it is a, it's tough. I, uh, it's, yeah, I don't, it's a different animal now. It is. And, yeah. It's, it's extremely, and here's the thing. It requires a lot of patience for sure. Um, and it's, and you could easily rush into it. And, and I think that's the thing that if you're going to do the long distance, a, you need to have like patience and 
don't rush into it like at all. You, I mean, you should first of all, you should never rush into any relationship um, because you have to allow it to develop at its own pace. Um, and unfortunately, long distance is let's just be honest, it's a long distance type of pace or it could be a, an easy pace where you have daily uh, things or whatnot. But um, I think with patience and persistence, like it, 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 you, it, you can get more clarity for sure. Um, and it, and I think that any relationship, like the less stress, the healthier the relationship. And you definitely, if you're stressing because it's so long distance, then obviously you don't have the patience for this. I mean, that's just my opinion. Um, I, I feel like it's one of those things that like, I mean, it really is. It, it, I think it really t is going to test your, your patience. Cause it's so, I could so easily be like, okay, I'll fly next week. You know, I'm going to go see you. Uh, you know, like you could be, you could, you could jump in. You could be that impulsive as well. I mean, it's, is it good or is it bad? Who knows? Because I don't know how you have to kind of measure like how long have you been talking? Like it's really, really, really like new navigating new territory. I feel like, especially nowadays and in the 21st well, century. I mean, getting to the point where you could maybe jump on a plane and go see somebody, but for months it wasn't. So I don't even know how you could rush into anything, you know, if you were trying to start a relationship long distance during the pandemic when nobody could leave their house. I mean, you know, I don't know how you could do anything but take it slowly. Right. So, you know, I mean, I think it, you know, it's. I, I think it's interesting. It seems like the coronavirus and having to be at the shelter in place has had to have made everybody more patient about it because you have no choice, you know, frustrating as it is, but you don't. And I think it's teaching us a lot about ourselves. Um, what you're saying, it's like, I think that the Corona really has said everybody right now. Yeah. Uh, can you work at home? I think we've been tested at that. Can you stay at home? You've been tested. Can you be with your family? Um, for so long so many days we've been tested literally through and through um i think it's a good thing that we're being tested because for so for a while i mean technology just makes things like make can make us be impatient like the the kind of like the instant gratification that david mentions constantly with the dating scene um mm -hmm. especially through through apps but for those that are out there and trying to make the long distance relationship i think it's all possible it just requires a lot of patience it really is. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, for all, you know, there's been so many studies like, oh, you know, we're all going at such a frantic pace because we, you know, we have all these electronic devices and, mm. you know, that we, you know, that we can engage in. But in a way, despite all of those, you know, devices, we've had to slow down because of shelter in place. And, and uh, it's, it's been an interesting, it's, it's been, it's enforced patience, you know, so it's yeah. been interesting that's an interesting lesson so yeah all right ladies and gentlemen that is it for today if you have any questions comments or concerns please feel free to reach us at whiskey sex talk at icloud.com 